Welcome to Bear Books for the love of indie. We're here to highlight and amplify self-published authors. We're reviewing Patricia Feinberg Stoner's book, At Home in the Pay Dock, and also The Porter by Rachel Parsonage. And depending on what we thought of it, maybe you will be inclined to pick up these and have a read as well. We shall see, really. You can always let us know. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed reading mine, um, as you'll see by the review. Let's have your review first then and see what we think of it. Okay. I have to say I did cheat a bit when I picked this book. I love travel books. I love autobiographies. I'm a bit voyeuristic, I suppose, into the lives of others. So when this landed in the Bear Books inbox, I quickly grabbed it before Daisy could. The book starts off by explaining how the author met her husband, the anguish and compromise they went through to buy a place in France. The description of the house amused me, especially the names the author gave to the rooms. The minstrel's gallery was one, the spider room the other. Because of the state of the room, no proper floor, no ceiling, no windows, and monsters lurking in its dim corridors. The book goes on to tell the story of the move and the renovation of the house into a comfortable home with all the trials and tribulations of dealing with French red tape, contractors and living in a village where there is a general mistrust of those from across the channel. I enjoyed the story very much. The author described the characters very well. The nuances of moving to a different country with different customs, a different outlook and pace of life. It was strange but slightly comforting to recognise some of the places that the author was describing in no small part due to the fact that the three weeks every year I'm glued to the telly for the Tour de France and some of the supermarkets mentioned were plastered all over the cycling team's kit. The book wasn't very long and left me wanting more so I purchased the second book in the series and I'm now reading that one. Highly recommend it if you like a quirky look into the lives of others and don't mind struggling to pronounce in your head French place names. Interesting review, April. Short and concise from you on this one. A couple of bits in there, though, that I do want to have a little bit of a chat at about with you, if I may. Anguish and compromise, you mentioned at the beginning of that review, and it hints at an interesting sort of story that I wouldn't mind reading, purely because it alludes to being a colourful story. Was it colourful? Yes, it's very colourful. It's got an awful lot of the intrinsic French village life, um, yeah. interwoven into the story and initially they were just looking for a holiday home oh right okay um all the anguish was all about two homes getting everything together getting it all to france all the customs and everything that they had to do and i understand that french red tape when you're buying a house is not kind of really like it is here because you've got to have various documents about your intention to buy and all that kind of thing yeah, I suppose, yeah, it's different rules, isn't it, in a different country? Yeah, it was a really, really good book. There was one bit in the book whereby they were looking at, um, and I need to get it right, because they were installing a new boiler. Yeah. But they've got no pipe gas. So they're using cartons of gas. However, you can't store large cartons of gas indoors. So they had to have them outside and piped into from outside. That makes sense, yeah. And they found the perfect spot to put them, but it meant doing some alterations to the house. 
Okay. And they couldn't do these alterations without getting planning permission. And I think that planning permission in France is a lot difficult, more difficult than getting planning permission here. And it was a right um. long, drawn-out, manana-type process. <laughs> Poor things. I think what I was worrying about, really, we're not worrying as such, but when you think about factual books and, and stories about people's lives, I worry that they might come across as a bit diary-ish. Was that the case? No, not at all. Because whilst it, it did follow a sequence... It was all sort of bits of things that had happened. So it was talking about some of the sort of parties that they went to, things that they did and, and how it is different from here. Yeah. You know, like, as I said on the review, if you're really good at trying to pronounce French names in your head, it's a classic. But for me trying to pronounce them, you know, I feel really bad because obviously <laughs> I can't speak French very well. I haven't done since 1979. And so it's, it's kind of different. And as, as I said at the end, they, you know, they were going to see if the Mary would put it on the low, low. All the village news would go out on that announcement. So it was okay. the whole of the village could hear it. The only problem is that once they'd done it, they then started again and did it again. So it kind of repeated itself as well. <laughs> oh, another thing I picked up on on your review, you mentioned Spider Room. Really? It sounds like your author has got quite the imagination which I'm guessing she puts nicely into words if you're reading her second book already. Yeah, it, it, it is actually very good. What she was doing was describing the house that they bought in this French village that I can't pronounce. Yeah. And so she was talking about the rooms that were in there and there was a dining room, a bedroom, bathrooms, that kind of thing. And then they gave other rooms names and the spider room was one of those the rooms because it had no ceiling, it had no floor, lots of dark corners, no windows, no light, no nothing, and lots of creepy crawlies running around in it. Ew. Nobody wants to live in the spider room. No, not at all. But it was really, it was really, really good. It was really interesting. And it gave a really good descriptive view, I thought, of life in a French village. I think... You should. I know you've prepared a reading and chosen a bit of the book so that we can get a little bit of a feel of it. So if you're happy, we'll have that next. Absolutely. And, and as I'll let me explain that the bit that I've chosen is from 2003. And I was in France in August, the first week in August of 2003. In, I must say, one of the prettiest places that I've um, ever been. It's a little village called Cullior, and it's absolutely beautiful. Oh. Picture postcard perfect. Let's have a listen then. Two delicious hours passed. I was drowsing happily over my book on the terrace, reflecting smugly on my timely escape from the cafe when I opened the kitchen door. Horror of horrors, I heard Patrick talking. He brought Simon home to continue with the conversation. I quickly pulled on a robe to cover my bikini and a smile to cover my fury and rushed into the kitchen. There stood himself, alone, or, when I took a second look, not quite alone, in his arms was a small brown and white bundle, which he proceeded to place gently on the floor. The bundle stirred, got to its feet, and looked up at me with huge brown eyes. It wasn't quite a puppy, but it wasn't fully grown either. Obviously lost, bewildered, and rather frightened, it cautiously began to explore the kitchen. She's a stray, Patrick explained. She came into the bar and Jean-Paul shooed her out again. 
but when I came outside she was still there running around in the road. Lucienne, one of the village boys who adored dogs, said I'd better take her home or she would get run over. We'll keep her for tonight and take her to the animal shelter tomorrow. There was rather more to it than that, as I later discovered. Patrick is as soppy about dogs as anyone I know and they adore him. He often says that they can see mug tattooed on his forehead in dog speak and for all I know it's true. It seems that the little creature had taken one look at him, put her paws on his knee, gazed up at him adoringly with those big brown eyes and that was that. Now as I regularly explain to my friends, she's a French tart, she picked my husband up in a bar. Here I have to admit that I'm equally besotted with dogs. Himself and I had many a time discussed getting one, had had mature and sensible discussions on the subject and had come to the mature and sensible decision that as we were both working and travelling regularly, it wouldn't be fair to the animal or to us. We both felt strongly that taking on an animal is a major responsibility. But the heart wants what the heart wants and so when himself said, we'll keep her for tonight and take her to the animal shelter tomorrow, I should have realised that it wouldn't quite turn out like that. For a start, it was Friday and the animal shelter wouldn't be open until Monday, so she was ours for the weekend. She was wearing a collar, though no tag, so we attached her to a piece of cord and set out onto the village in search of a lead and some dog food before calling in at the Mary to announce her arrival. Perhaps a low low would summon up the little dog's owner. Over the next two days, we began to get acquainted I made the fatal mistake of giving her a name. We'll call her Perdita because she was lost, I said, or Purdy for short. It was a joke, of course, or so I thought. Purdy quickly made herself at home. We soon learnt that she was feisty, demanding and affectionate and immensely greedy. Anything we put in front of her, she ate. Anything we didn't put in front of her, if it was edible, she stole. Now, I sort of kind of really didn't want to read any more out about that. But really what happened was um, they didn't take Purdy to the animal shelter. They actually ended up with Purdy living with them themselves. And she became part of the story. I just kind of sort of throw, thought I'd throw that in. Brilliant. Thank you. I'm a little bit in love with Purdy myself. If, she, if they get fed up, I'll have her. I'll tell you what I did like. I like the fact that your author refers to Patrick as himself. Yeah. And not by his name or anything. And that strikes me as a bit of an Irish habit. Just because my gran used that sort of phrasing. She was from Ireland. So it made me wonder where the author is from originally. Um, and I, again, about Purdy, I have to say that dogs have this weird habit of going from nothing to family. Of course they do. Yeah, they do. So I am not the least bit surprised that Purdy melted their hearts and ended up staying in their lives. There was a little bit more to to them getting Purdy. Yeah. Um, But I thought it would make my reading a bit bit long because they actually did find the original owner of Purdy. And when the original owner came to pick Purdy up, Purdy cowered. (gasps) And so they paid the original owner to go away. And they kept the dog. Oh, what a relief. Yeah. People like that shouldn't have dogs. No, they shouldn't. Not at all. I'd like to end this section of the podcast by just saying, from everything you've said and from your reading, I really like your author's turn of phrase. So if she turns a hand to fiction, 
I'm up for reading that. Okay, well, I've started on book two, as, as we already know. So on to your book now. And we've gone really, I suppose, for the two ends of the moral spectrum, really, haven't we? <laughs> yes, I think we have as it goes. I am reviewing Rachel Parsonage's book and it's called The Porter. I won't tell you what it's about. I'll let you listen to the review first. Dave Williams is the hero of our story. He suddenly finds himself confronted with the demons of his past. Dave and his brother Ken were in care in the 1980s, subjected to a system totally unfit for purpose. When faced with one of the main perpetrators of the harm caused to them, Dave, unrecognisable in his protective equipment, finds revenge easy to execute. Initially, the thing that struck me as interesting about this story was the all-male protagonist-antagonist plot. Not that that is in itself unusual, quite the opposite. In fact, it's all too common. What was interesting was that it was written by a woman. It can't be easy to write from a perspective you've never experienced, was my first thought. Credit to Parsonage for that. On reading, the story is more about vague, generalised abuse and the emotional aftermath that would be relevant and equally traumatic for any gender. The Amazon description and prologue basically tells us the entire story along with the ending, so there are no surprises in this book, and it was a little bit repetitive like the author was afraid her reader might miss some points if they weren't hammered home. On the one hand, I would say that the language and the writing style is on the basic side, but if a quick, easy read is what you want, then this will deliver. The main character, Dave, would easily have been in the same class as me at school, not that we are from the same area, but I recognised the upbringing, saw it around me. There were some good, solid references in there that made it relatable, sad and realistic. I liked Dave. He was essentially a diamond in the rough. Well, he started out that way. With his nan's guidance, he wanted to do the right things in life and I definitely wasn't disappointed that Blackwell ended up back in prison, contrived or otherwise. Well done, Dave. Or well done, Rachel. What was disappointing was that well-earned retribution turned to unrealistic murder that just did not sit right with Dave's personality. The essence of this story is gritty and hard-hitting. To make that the takeaway feeling as you shut the book, it could have been quite a bit shorter and punchier. I'd definitely rethink that prologue, but in essence, I like it. Listening to that review of that book kind of gave me a bit chills to be honest because I kind of was thinking the worst two boys in care retribution things that happened to them mm. the harm cause words I believe that you used yeah and I really just thought the worst well the worst did happen to a lot of the boys that were in the story it was they they were certainly in danger yeah the other thing that you mentioned as well was simplistic language that, that the book was written in. But I think that a book like this lends itself to being written pretty simply and yeah. straightforward and to the point. Do you think that's because the issues are so dark, you don't need the added stress of having to 
deflower the lang deflower. That's such the wrong word. <laughs> yeah, such the wrong word. Deflower in the language. <laughs> Pop that, Jerry. <laughs> oh my life. Yeah, I understand what you're saying there. That that you don't have to wrap it up in a lot of description because the description of the events themselves are hard hitting enough to not yes. warrant flowery stuff. And I think that if you were to put all that flower into it, which is what potentially gives the book a complex way of being written, yeah. you take away and you detract from the horror, the stark reality of what's happening in the book. One of the reasons I say it's a simple read is because the entire plot is available from the get-go, from reading the synopsis on Amazon where you can buy this one to the back of the book blurb. But the whole story is there from reading the cover that Dave was the child that was had the hard childhood that is the same man that is now in the hospital in the face mask. There, there are no surprises. It's all up front. You don't right. have to think about anything. You know the entire story before you start. It's not often when we're doing the book reviews that I actually have a look at the book that you're reviewing. This time I went and had a look and I think you only know what happened from the book because you're saying you knew what happened from reading the synopsis, but I had no idea reading the synopsis, so maybe I'm a bit dim. No, you're not. <laughs> well, not when it comes to intelligence, you're not. Just life. <laughs> yeah, just life in general, really. Yeah. So you didn't then? I didn't get it. I mean, I knew that, that Dave, the, the, the little boy, something had happened to him and he was getting some retribution for that. Yeah. But And I think that that's true of all books. There's always a thread yeah. that gives us a bit of a clue what's going to happen in the book. I'm absolutely not saying that a book that has an air of predictability about it is not worth reading. This is not the case at all. You've only got to compare it to real life, say, uh, if you think about the fact that we, all of us, myself, April and you listening to this, we all live the same life. It's very predictable. We're all born and learn and go to school, leave school, get jobs, fall in love, may or may not have families and we all die. We know how our life is going to go. It's the journey that makes it rich. It's actually still worth a read, I would yes. say. I actually quite liked it. I think it's worth a read from the bit that I've read. Anyway, are you going to do a reading for us? Yes, absolutely. Dave is our main character in this book, and this reading is from when he was a little boy around six years old, just after he'd received a beating with a belt from his mother. Now get to bed, she'd screamed. Dave and Ken were more than happy to oblige. Dave tried to understand why she had just hit him with the belt, but he couldn't. She always told him not to lie, so he hadn't, and now that he had, he was in trouble. Dave and Ken could hear raised voices. Think you can just turn up here, fresh out the nick, and think everything's okay? Shut up, you stupid cow. Look at the state of you. They said you'd sunk low. Have you been knocking off other blokes behind my back? What if I have, you useless sod? How else do you think I'll pay rent? Well, you've got enough to buy booze with. Yeah? You wouldn't know doing time in the nick. And why was that? Because you were spending everything on booze then? Why do you think I had to rob the garage? Robbed the garage? You couldn't rob fresh air. 
You said that was meant to set us up for life. Why, you ungrateful. Dave pulled the damp threadbare duvet that smelled of mildew over his head. Maybe he wouldn't hear anything. Maybe it would all just stop and go away. But suddenly a piercing scream rang through the house, followed by the thud of the front door. He heard Ken gasp and felt his body go rigid. Dave began to whimper, dread curdling in his stomach. Neither boy dared move for some time, their limbs growing stiff in the cold. Eventually, Ken dared to poke his head out. It was all very strange. There had been a lot of noise. Now it had just stopped, and everything was deathly silent. Shall we go downstairs? whispered Dave. Dunno. Do you remember what happened last time? When we heard a man here and I went downstairs, she thumped my head so hard I got a black eye. Which man? She always has many a... The one last week, that really old one. Oh yeah, I remember now, that one. They waited a bit longer. Maybe she's just gone to sleep like she does when she drinks wine. Dunno, she sounded like she was really hurt, said Ken. He got out of the bed and crept downstairs. Dave did not move. What if she got the belt out again? He was still in pain from the beating that he'd had this evening. No, Ken, don't go. I'll be okay, I'll be quiet, don't worry, he whispered. Dave stopped breathing while he listened for the creaking of the stairs, fearing that if his mum heard Ken she would shoot up in a fearsome rage. But Ken didn't come back. Dave began to worry. Where was he? What if his mum had seen Ken? What if he'd got into serious trouble? What if she'd taken him outside or somewhere to give him a hiding? Dave remained silent, slowly shattered. He drifted off into sleep. He hadn't been asleep for long when he was woken up by a friendly policeman who wrapped him in a big warm blanket and carried him into a car. Dave smiled to himself as the warmth enveloped his body. The policeman took him and Ken to the station and gave them some toast and a big drink of milk. They devoured the food and the policeman watched them with a strange look of contented sympathy. Where's my mum? asked Dave. Why have we come here? Ken started crying and buried his head in his hands. I thought that reading was actually quite sad. I could picture Dave pulling a threadbare sort of cover over his head to hide and to block out all of that that was going on. Downstairs. Yeah, his parents downstairs. Yeah. And they're the types of conversations that people have where the intellect isn't particularly, what's the word I'm looking for, in large supply. Well, no, because they weren't having an intellectual conversation. They were that they were screaming at each other. Yeah, because he's been in prison and uh, because she's been sleeping around while he's been in prison. Yeah, so it's it's kind of, it's a stereotypical sort of 1970s, 1980s film that used to come out in that era of... Yes, it reminded me initially of Scum. Do you remember Scum? It had Ray Winston in it. It was about Borstal and it was like a, a, I can't remember if it was late 70s, early 80s. But yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a kind of, and Louis Theroux as well, visiting sort of prisons in America, that kind of sort of thing it brought back a little bit. Yeah. It, it's it's evoked all sorts of thought processes in my mind. What I was a little bit con- worried about, concerned about, is where did Ken go? What was Ken doing downstairs? What was he 
Ken went downstairs to see what the shouting was all about because they were like, they were, they were little kids, little vulnerable kids. And being the older of the two, he went downstairs to check on his mother, I guess. Usually when they went downstairs to check on the mother about anything after bedtime, she'd just scream at them and send them back up to bed. Half the time they weren't fed, they were hungry, they were cold. The bedroom was dirty. They just had a miserable existence. But that time when Ken went down, he found his mother. Yeah. I mean, I, I did read a little bit in the book about the fact that they used to live with the nan. Yeah. And they were well looked after and well fed. And I thought that was really sweet. And it, it's really sad when an adult takes children away from safety. Yes, it's horrible. They they had a miserable life. I mean, they had that big chunk in the middle where they did go to live with Nan after Mum died. And Nan, she was poor as hell as well, to be fair. But what she did have went in the right direction. She didn't go off and buy wine with it. She fed the boys when they needed feeding. They how her house wasn't a lot warmer than their mum's house, but she'd she'd like to teach them to draw the fire because they, they had like a proper open fire as a lot of us did back in those days. So the living room was always cosy and warm and she loved them. And that's what they really needed. Somebody loved them. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, we've gone from one extreme to the other with the books this week. Yeah. But I'm definitely, I'm going to read that book that you've read. I Like I say, I, I started off it because it piqued my curiosity. So I actually had a look at the sample that's on Amazon. It says, oh, you know, this is what happened. I'm going to buy it and I'm going to read it. It's a good book. I really enjoyed reading it. I'm glad that I did. And if anybody asked me, would you recommend it? I'd probably say yes, I would. Do you think we've been a bit crafty this season by picking books that we actually have wanted to read rather than books that we thought we had to read does that make sense it does make sense and my answer is yes and no yes we've picked books that appeal to us I, I like the darker gritty stuff I like fiction I like someone to grab hold of me and shake me up and make me uncomfortable and make me read something and make me want to know the ending and all that good stuff but just because we've chosen something that appeals to us doesn't mean it's going to be well written or that we're even going to like it so, you know, we're picking stuff the way that the authors have marketed and sold them. So well done to those authors because we picked them up and we wanted to review them. The one thing I did notice, because I, I always end up down internet rabbit holes. You do, for, yes. I do, yeah. Uh, but Rachel K. Parsonage, I've looked at her blurb on Amazon and she's actually works in the NHS and she's written another book as well. And these are all about the pandemic and the lockdown. Yes, that's how they've managed to get his retribution. He'd got a job in a hospital and he had to wear masks, so he was unrecognisable as his old self. Yeah. I might have a, a little look at uh, the, the other one as well, the healthcare assistant. I'm hoping that these are not any way, in any shape or form, drawn from real events, although they oh, are well, quite true not. to life, of things that happen. A couple of good books this week then. Yes, I think so. Yes, absolutely, for both of us. So what have we got coming up next week then, Daisy? So in two weeks' time, because somebody keeps forgetting we're fortnightly this season. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Two weeks today. <laughs> we have our next Flash Fiction episode, and I am very happy to report that we've had a whole batch of submissions in for this one. The writing prompt is Summer Holiday, and the stories are... Not what you would expect. 
No, I was I was going to ask one of my colleagues at work because she's the only person I know who's actually been on a summer holiday this year and she's been to Malta. <laughs> anyway, she's come back to work today and she's been pinged by the NHS test and trace. Somebody Uh-oh. on somebody on the plane has had a positive coronavirus test on the way back from Malta. So she's now got to isolate for 10 days. So I thought, no, I'll not ask. You have to it's, pay a price if you want to holiday in this day and age. Yeah, it's a dim and distant thing, though, isn't it? A holiday. I mean, can you remember the last time you went abroad? Uh, it was a lot of years ago now. Yeah. I don't go abroad now. And I don't want to at the moment. I definitely don't. But anyway, let's look forward to two weeks' time then, where we are reading about people's summer holidays. And you've got writing to do. How are you getting on with that? I'm not. <laughs> Any ideas? I think I do have a bit of an idea, actually, about summer holidays. Okay. Right, we will see everybody two weeks today. Thank you for joining us. Anyway, we'll see you in two weeks, guys. Happy sunshine. Happy sunshine. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to send in your stories, email us at submissions at bearbooks.co.uk. Thank you.